0: Many like it, but uh, we're in Psalm 40 today, and I just felt we should share it. So Father, we do pray that you would speak to our hearts, even as you already have, by being together. We could just close up the book and go home now, knowing we've been touched and spoken to. Uh, A lot of times the question isn't whether you spoke, it's whether we can and will respond. And Lord, that still takes your Holy Spirit. So we pray you'd move in us and work in us, even now, in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, interesting. Just very interesting to me. Um, for those who are possibly exercising patience and tribulation right now, I want to ask you to raise your hand if you're doing that. Uh, I, no, I said I won't ask you. That's great. <laughs> But you can, because we're free here. Okay, uh, so so you are. Okay, well, good for you. That's good. And, and for those of you who need to be encouraged uh, to do so, Psalm 40, one through 3 to begin. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. And established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Hmm. We know that David did enter the kingdom, you know when he died and went on to be with God, in the heavenlies and the kingdom. We know that uh, he did it through much tribulation. You know, Paul told a group of Christians in the early church in his travels and teachings in Acts 14, he encouraged them, and and he didn't say to them, you know that if you just turn to Jesus, all your problems will go away. He didn't say to them, if you just turn to Jesus, all your sickness will be gone. He said, if you just turn to Jesus, you'll be rich, famous, happy and clappy all the time. He didn't say that. Paul said, as a messenger of God, it is through much tribulation encouraging them testifying to them as much through much tribulation we enter the kingdom of heaven so you know sorry <laughs> but that's what it says his situations david's were overwhelming sometimes weren't they and they weren't fixable by money or by doctors or by close friends fixing it we have examples like that all over the place in the Bible. In Hebrews 11, a lot of people who were just like David, who struggled both with outward things, which we'll read about, and inward things, which we'll read about, that needed God's help. My friends, it's not a shame that you need God's help. It's not a shame to need God's help. And where was they? Now here's the question, that you can speak it out. Maybe you know this. I'm asking you from what we just read, not from some historical setting. Where was David when he was waiting patiently for the Lord? In a cave? No, nope, not a cave. It says it right in the verse. Say it loud. In a horrible pit. Don't be scared. I probably do things that make you fearful to speak. And. Um, <laughs> And they're probably stupid things, so, you know. But don't be fearful to speak, you know. You're, yeah. Where was David? I waited patiently for the Lord, and he and he heard me. He inclined to me. And that, that means that he leaned in, leaned in to listen. And by the way, and he heard my cry. Heard is Shema, as in the great Shema of Deuteronomy. Shema Yisrael Adonai El-Hinu is, hear, O Israel. When God says, hear, listen, is he saying, Hey, if you got a second, give me half of an intention of your left ear. You know, listen with total intent. God leaned into me, leaned down to me, and he listened with complete intent to my cry. And he brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. And I was waiting patiently there, David says. So, I mean, if I fell outside on the ground and somebody scooped me up right away, I wouldn't say, oh, thanks, I've been waiting patiently there. You'd have to have been there for a while. How long, I don't know. Long enough to say I was in a horrible pit in the miry clay, and I was waiting patiently for the Lord. I don't know that he always did that, but in this psalm he declares that, and he gives us direction. And... Uh, God inclined and stretched out and heard and listened and brought me up. He delivered me. Deliverance came, and from that deliverance, a song of praise was birthed, and he's penned it, and he says, those who were watching, and people are watching. As you know, people are watching you. You don't realize sometimes the people that are watching you. Now, I'm real aware of it. You go, oh, because you're a pastor? No, because I do so many stupid things. (laughs) People say, what are you doing? I go, oh, you were watching Do you ever have that? You don't have that, Linda? Never? Okay, I mean, uh, people, I, I have it all the time. I was hoping that you guys, I was hoping I wasn't alone here, but people are watching, of course. The real issue is people are watching you more than you think. Not everybody that's watching you is watching you to just put your, your, their head on your, on your neck when you fall down. That's not, if you feel that everybody in your life is doing that, maybe internally there's something that needs to be readjusted. But on the other side, people are watching. And some are watching to point out your flaw to put you down. And some are watching with intrigue. How is she, how is he going to handle this? I've heard them talk about Jesus or I think they're a Christian. I wonder what they're going to do. He said many people are going to watch and they're going to fear, and that's reverential trust for the Lord, and which brings a hatred for evil. Obviously, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, the wis- of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is clean, it says, and during forever. You read all the places where it talks about the fear of the Lord. It cannot be something that to, to terrorize people and make them run from God, because that is never the context it's used, other than the rebellious that simply reject his love and kindness eventually. The fear of the Lord draws you into a reverential trust for him and a hatred for evil. And you know you're really on the right track when the first hatred you have is for your own evil. Four and five. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such as turn aside to lies. Uh, Many, O Lord, are your wonderful works which you have done in your thoughts, Towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I declare or speak of them, they're more than can be numbered. You see, Ed and Joni were very good about reducing down to one testimony because they have hundreds of testimonies, and one leads into another, doesn't it? If you because your life as a Christian can be a testimony upon testimony, and, and so, but the temptation is to listen to the proud, to the arrogant thoughts, to the lies that tell us to forget His wonderful works, and then be molded by our troubles. And you know I don't want to be trite or simplistic when I say that, you know those quotes. And when God leads, He provides. And I always remember it just because the G's. God guides, He provides as well. Is another way to remember it. But you know, troubles, trials will make us either better or bitter. Is still is kind of true. <laughs> it still is, is that. That's what a trial and trouble and pain will do. Make us either better or bitter. And we're instructed here to remember in many places what he's done, what he's going to do. And the eternal view is in place here. It's God's view. You may ask God, listen, forget about your view for a minute and look at it from my view. And God is able to see it from your view. Jesus lived a life more than you've lived of your view. I mean, you either believe that or you don't. But that's what the Bible tells us about his life. That's his presence on earth physically, what he went through more than you or I could ever imagine. I haven't. I don't know what everybody's going through, and I can't tell them I totally understand. He can. So, and God doesn't give up his eternal view to help you because that wouldn't help you for God to give up his eternal view and when you say, well, just it's, just, it's the right now and you've got to do it this way right now because that's what I feel and that's what I see and that's where I'm living. I'm not living in the eternal. I'm not in heaven yet. I'm here right now. And you want God to move into that in your way. It's like if you're drowning in the ocean and instead of God throwing you a lifesaver, he throws you an, uh, an anchor, uh, an anvil for him to give up his picture, his view, his reality to help you When it lift you, it would sink you. It would sink me. And so the temptation is there to lose the eternal view. It's there every day for every one of us. You're not alone in that. Verses 6. Through 8, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you've opened, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It's written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. And of course, we're reading prophetic words that were told in Hebrews and in the Gospel of John and even in other places. What David is prophesying about, David's a prophet But David is also speaking from his heart. And he's saying, in essence, from his heart, I've seen beyond the letter of the law that I love. I love God's law, David said. You know, I do. But I'm seeing beyond it that the sacrifices all speak of Jesus. David is prophesying about Jesus who came to do God's will. In all the whole volume of the book, it's written about him. It's all about Jesus. Even though David doesn't fully understand that, And how is God's law moved from just being written on stone tablets, thou shalt not, to being written on the heart of a human? How does that happen? Through the blood and through the covenant, the new covenant of Jesus Christ. This is the new covenant in my blood. This is how God writes. He wrote on stone. He prophesied and came upon Old Testament prophets. David had the Holy Spirit come upon him as he's writing and give him these words, right? But now, though God can give us prophetic words through people and make people have a ministry of prophecy, it's not the same as the Old Testament prophet. Right now, that same Holy Spirit that moved upon a prophet's heart to tell us about the coming of the Messiah, who would write his word on our heart, that Holy Spirit comes to your heart and writes on your heart, and you're getting that prophecy, you're getting that clarity, you're getting that relationship and connection. You can't live as an Old Testament saint. There's no such thing anymore. You have to live as a New Testament saint. Which means the Holy Spirit needs to come to you, and he does. Convict you of sin, and he does. Cleanse you of sin, and he does. It's the blood of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then, as God the Father orchestrates, of say we covered them all three. <laughs> and, 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 and now on my heart, it's not like rules, a list of rules are written, but God's character and nature and his, his heart in those things that he said, don't do this, do this. All of that was God's heart of purity and holiness, of love and of mercy, of righteousness. It's written on our hearts. I come to do your will, O God, to write my law on Barb's heart. That was God's will, that you would receive Christ and have him on your heart. Mm. Nine, I have proclaimed the the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I have not restrained my lips, O Lord, you yourself know. I've not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I've declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. You know, um, have you been baptized? Not as a baby, but have you been baptized as a believer? Um, Because if you were baptized as a believer, uh, you already have stated that you believe in public declaration of your faith. That's what baptism is. It's a public declaration of your faith. David says, I've not him." now he had a role as king to speak and do, and I get all that, and you do too. But there is a message here for us about when people say, sometimes this is code, people say, well, well my faith is very personal to me. Now, I never dismiss somebody for saying my faith is very personal to me. I, I think my faith is very personal to me. But sometimes that's code for I don't want to talk about it, I don't want to be talked to about it. I don't want to think. Of, I don't want anybody to discuss faith with me, right? And I don't think anybody should talk about their faith publicly. Show it to me in the Bible. You know, you have, everybody has a right to their opinion, but that's all that is is an opinion. Clearly, from Scripture, we are to publicly declare. I'm not saying. I'm not interpreting David's words to say, everybody here needs to go out being a street preacher right now and get a sandwich board. (laughs) On the other hand, he says, I have not hidden, I have not concealed what should be known from my life to other people. Are you with me? What should be known in my life by other people. You know what? Your non-Christian friends should have ammunition to use against you if you fail. They absolutely should be able to say, you are a Christian. What are you doing? Why are you they should have that ammunition. I'm not saying they should load their gun. This is a great thing. Let them shoot you with their with their anti-god bullets and hate you bullets or something. But if people don't know where I stand, That's not a credit to my slickness and coolness. I don't mean the first moment I meet somebody. Hi, I'm a Christian. Do you believe in Jesus? You know. But David was not ashamed and would not be afraid to speak. And he said, you know, it's a public declaration. If you have not been baptized as a believer, you should be. You need to be. And it's not like we'll try to find, we have to find 3,000 people to watch you but we'll fill up our little, our little swimming pool thing, put it out back or go somewhere, and we'll baptize you. And you'll be baptized not into Adirondack Christian Fellowship, but into Jesus Christ. Because we don't baptize into our church name, we baptize into the, the truth of Jesus Christ that you have proclaimed in your life. And you should do it. If you haven't, you need to do it. And uh, Jesus commanded it. We don't believe it's, you're not saved unless you're baptized. Some people here might. You have a right to believe that. But we don't believe that. But we do believe that you need to be baptized. And, it's the th- and, and then, uh, that's way more than baptism. This isn't talking about baptism. You're going, Rick, you're really reaching here. I am. I admit it. This is one of those where I'm bringing something in. I admit that. I'm bringing something in that needs to be said here, okay, in this church. And I know it does. So I'll just leave it there. Okay, But as far as the context here goes, he's saying, I've declared you, I haven't withheld in all the things I've been through. I haven't let anything stop me. I haven't gotten so busy and so blessed that I forget about declaring your greatness. And I haven't let the burdens that are so overwhelming keep me me from saying, yes, God is good. Okay, that's the ticket. Verse 11. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth preserve me, continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. So this is the outside stuff. My iniquities have overtaken me. That's even worse. Would you rather be surrounded or overtaken? (laughs) So that I'm not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head, therefore my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Now, of course... Of course, we don't want either of those. But God delivered David out of a horrible pit, but not just once. Did you notice what Ed and Joni shared with us? That well, that was one testimony, and that was because there's. But then this Monday, (laughs) we had to have another. Is there anybody here that you've only had one really major trial in your whole life, and that was it, and then from then on it's been just smooth sailing? Please tell us your secret. The secret is you're lying. (laughs) <laughs> because it's not how it works believers walk by faith not by sight and we experience many mountaintops and then we also experience valleys don't we you know um, yeah, Grand Canyons okay well that's honesty uh, however on a very serious note there will be funerals beginning this week Um, for people, for officers, you know, in Dallas. Undoubtedly, Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Somewhere that's going to be quoted. Because often, Psalm 23 is quoted and spoken and read thoroughly at funerals, right? Make sure you understand me. Make sure you understand me. That's good. I'm not against it. I think it's good. I think it's a good verse to use, if so chosen. But Psalm 23 was not written solely to be read at funerals. Are you with me? Psalm 20. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death a lot of times in life. A lot of places. We we kind of leave a lot of things for the graveyard. We need to go to the graveyard and pull some of those verses that are on those stones and some of the things that were said there and bring them back into the real world of life. I mean the real world. We need to live out what we talk about at those moments. That's how those moments become less bitter. And it's really how people around us won't just tune it all out. Because they hear it at every funeral or whatever. They see it in your life. In my life. And so that's just from our side what we need to do. I'm not trying to fix everybody else. I'm just saying this is, speaks to me. Uh, you know, it's not intended for that alone. There's a lot of, uh, we face evil. We face hardship. And then we face our own sin. My iniquities. You know, my pastor, who some of you know pretty well, Pastor John Corson, you know, he had three children. Peter John is his oldest. Then his wife died when I think Peter was only like four or five. And then the other two the two girls were younger than that. And so I don't know what age he was or if his mom was already gone at this point. But, uh, you know, he was taught, John always uh, told this story about Peter John, his son. When he was four years old, he'd said, came to him and said, Dad, I got my snaps down. I can whistle. Now all I got to do is get my shoes tied, figure out how to tie my shoes and all the hard stuff's done. It's just such a great story, and John told it that way, and and people laughed that way. But, you know, Peter found out. Peter found out that just getting his shoes tied wasn't the end of the story. Because then when his younger sister, two years younger than him, when she was 16, she died in a one-person car accident. And then when Peter was about 20 to 22, he developed severe Crohn's disease, and to this day, he lives with it. He's got two uh, natural birth children and two adopted, da- two, four daughters, two natural birth, two adopted from Liberia. And uh, he's this wonderful family. But he's, uh, even this last year, he almost died from another complication with, on his brain, either meningitis or something, uh, or encephalitis. And just, he's had an endless road of pain. So it wasn't just, once I get my shoes tied, everything's okay. And, and, and obviously, he knows that better than I do. At a younger age than me. I think he knows it better than I do. He also knows that the Lord is faithful. And as do many other people that won't have the fame of a Corson, or even a Cohen. <laughs> but God knows you, and he knows what you face and I don't even know his personal failings on the internal and the stuff that would can eat you up worse than Crohn's disease. All of us, right? Our own failure. And yet God was pleased to deliver David because it pleased him as Isaiah 53 to bruise Jesus. For it pleased the Lord to bruise him because he paid the punishment of my sin so that I could look up Thank God for his mercy and his grace. Verse 14, let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. Well, there you go, Rick. You say that there's a chance. And then if somebody's coming against me, I'm going to pray that God would just strike them and get them. These are called imprecatory uh, prayers in the Old Testament, prayers where people invoke evil on or a curse on people who are doing evil. There's about 10 psalms that are pretty dramatically so in this. And we can also say uh, Paul actually prayed in 2 Timothy 4.14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works on the other side of all that to show you the layers to this because even when he said that later on he says i delivered alexander and hymenus two guys alexander probably this one being the one to satan that they might learn not to blasphemy so in other words when he says he delivered them, he didn't like grab him tie him up put him in a box and bring him over to satan street and he, he, in prayer, he said, Lord, take, we put him out from among the believers, and we say, just as they did in, in, in 1 Corinthians 5, and this is important. There was a man that was sinning with his father's wife, we think his stepmother. In Corinth, a very wicked, uh, an immoral city, this was even considered wow by the people who weren't Christians. And Paul says, you haven't dealt with this guy, you're like smug about it, you need to put him out, and let the Satan deal with him, so they can repent. When the guy repents, the church is still pushing him back and being mean to him, kind of. Paul says that wasn't the goal. The goal was to see the guy restored, to see him repent and get right. Now you need to put your arms around him and welcome him back. Oh, so the goal was what, what was that goal again? Redemption. But say that slowly for me. <laughs> Redemption. Redemption. The goal is redemption. Well, in the Old Testament, we see God's holy, righteous judgment. In the New Testament, we're not going to shade this. Jesus talked about God's holy, righteous judgment. A few weeks ago in Colossians, we dealt with the word wrath. The wrath of God is going to be revealed. We believe and understand that. But we also understand it in the context of the whole story of what God's goal is to deliver people from their sin. And what we do is we say, well, how should I take this? Find an Old Testament hard verse and nail it on somebody's coffin? Or should I pray maybe like Jesus and follow him? What do you think? Which one should you do? (laughs) So Jesus said, love your enemies. Oh, that's a little different than David's prayer. And Jesus said, father forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. So there is a truth, and it's not hidden, it's not shaded, it's not removed, that there is righteous judgment against evil, and it has to come. But the great truth that we possess is that God is in the business of forgiving and redeeming and restoring. And if that wasn't true, you're in big trouble. Not that person you're mad at, you. <laughs> you. Me. It's either real or it's not real. There's a, It's not easy, but it is simple. <laughs> it's either God's grace or there ain't no grace. So, and Lord help what's ever going on out yes. there. No, I don't, don't it's probably something tough. So, Lord, have mercy, we pray. So, anyway, be careful. We follow Jesus. We love our enemies. We forgive. We also use wisdom. Verse 16 and 17. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love you, your salvation, say continually, the Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. So, Though he waited patiently, he's crying out again. Are you comforted by that? I mean, you know, you you can have the testimony, but you're going to have the next time. And if you're prepared for it in some way, it does help. David remembers in a time of great difficulty that comes later, and in his pain and his failure that like Paul who said in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You know, he did deliver us. He is in the business of delivering us right now in the present, and he will deliver us in the future. And I hope every one of you and myself are able to grasp and hold on to and know that we have a God that delivers, but my job, you know, I can't change it. It's pretty clear. Uh, My job is to wait patiently, and I need his help there, don't I? And you need his help there. And we have need of patience after we've done the will of God that we might receive the promise. You know, that's another section that we have in Hebrews that tells us about all that suffering. So what I want to do before we close is have whoever's, the girls come up that are going to sing with me. And uh, we're just going to, and we'll have the lights down. And we're